Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about work, motherhood, and the grace we need for both. We are making and being made. Come join us. Well, hello, and welcome back to Kindled. This is episode 84. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and today I'm going to be chatting with my new friend, Andrea Burke. I will say up front, this is one of those episodes that you probably should have your earphones in for or listen to at a time where you don't have your kids around as there is some just adult content that they may not need to hear. But Andrea is going to share her remarkable story of God's redemptive power in her life and how what started with an affair and infidelity and a broken marriage has resulted in um, just a beautiful story of how God pursues and redeems and restores us. So I'm really excited for you to hear this interview. I love Andrea as a person, especially love following her on Instagram because she has a beautiful garden that is magazine worthy and very enviable for any of you flower lovers out there. And then my other note, I just want to say before I play our interview is that I realize this is an extremely complicated and heavy topic when we're dealing with uh, marital infidelity and affairs and just all of the brokenness that surrounds those situations. And so, you know, of course you guys know this is just a podcast and one woman's story, but I would encourage you if you're struggling not to use this as any sort of prescriptive directive for you in your specific situation, but to get counseling for your own situation and story. Okay, here is my interview with Andrea. Andrea, welcome to Kindled. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for making time to be here in the busyness of summer as a mom with kids at home, um, which is both <laughs> of us right now. So we'll see uh, how many times I get interrupted today. That's always, <laughs> always an unknown. But would you introduce yourself to listeners who have not heard of you? Sure. Yeah. I'm Andrea Burke. I think the way I got connected with you, Haley, was through the Good Enough podcast. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Good Enough podcast with Lori Wilberts, but I'm also a wife and a mom. I'm the director of women's ministry at Grace Road Church here in Rochester, New York, which basically means I just meet with women a lot for crisis care. And I teach Bible studies and write Bible studies and oversee discipleship groups and all sorts of different things like that that pertain to our women at our church. And then I write for different places online, but most of my time is just spent being a mom and being a wife and taking care of my home and the kids and laundry and vacuuming up dog hair, all those really fun things. So, Yep. Yep. The realities of everyday life. So where are you seeing, before we get into your story, where are you seeing God's grace in your life? Oh man, lately for me, so I recently just wrote an article that's been taking a lot of heat online and it's been an interesting week for me. So I'm specifically going to talk about what the Lord's been doing in my heart this week, because I, I really personally struggle with just wanting everyone to be happy with me all the time. Like it's, it's a praise of man issue. It's an idol for me. And I just, I can, like, I can't sleep if I know someone's mad at me, (laughs) but writing this article this week has produced a lot of people who are mad at me and um, realizing that I can't control that Mm -hmm. and that 
ultimately, if I'm seeking the praise of man and not the praise of God, then I'm doing things backwards. And so ironically, as I've written this article to try to just address something that I've seen, the Lord has also in turn used it to address an idol in me and has said very kindly, like, okay, this idol of the praise of men uh, needs to die. And I'm going to, I'm going to like help you <laughs> kill it. Sort of. There's a quote from um, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, um, which it's, I won't get into the whole thing, but there's a point where this man has an issue and has an idol really that's running him. And this angel from God comes and is like asking, shall I kill it? Like, shall I kill this thing that's ruling over you? Do you want me to kill it? And he kind of goes back and forth to say like, no, well, here's why you shouldn't. And I don't know, I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. And so I just really feel like the Lord has drawn near to me in this week to say, shall I kill it? Like, are you done? Like, can we, can we start to kill this thing? Cause I'm, I am, it's as much as I desire the praise of men, it exhausts me. It, it has worn me out because I lived too many years trying to just keep everyone happy. And as a believer, I don't think that's possible. I think we should anticipate that people won't love us all the time. And just as a person, it's just not a great way to live. And so I do feel like the grace of God this week has been to reveal really in me how much I've root my peace in others and not in him. And so for me, that's just been something that he's done for me. Like, Hey, I'm going to show that you that this is an issue and I'm going to help you deal with this. And we're going to kind of slowly suffocate it, which sounds terrible, but like, we're just going to take away the thing that it feeds off of and let it die. Yeah, absolutely. That's hard. I mean, I think that's often how he works. And I, I love the, that, visual from the great divorce. That's an amazing book, but yeah, I mean, we, we don't always want those idols to be taken. It's like, we know they're there, but we're kind of coddle them and keep them safe and kind of like Smeagol with precious, you know, like that's sort of how I am. Like (laughs) I found this, it's mine. Don't take it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. What a grace from him to, while you are, you know, sharing what I believe is the truth and, and grace, you know, is, is, he's also doing the same thing for you. I mean, yeah. and that he's not, you know, he's not leaving you to be the one to kind of shoulder the responsibility of that. But he's like, no, actually, I'm the bringer. I'm the bringer yes. of freedom, you know? Yes. Because it would be very easy to be like, okay, it's like, this is on me. Or this is my battle to fight when at the same time he's like, but I'm bringing you through the very same, you know, mm-hmm. the very same journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it does, it takes me, it takes my eyes off of that, like thinking how I should, how should I defend myself and how should I blah, 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 really to the Lord and being like, oh, okay, you, you're using this to do multiple things, which I mean, isn't that kind of what he's always doing? Like he's never doing one thing for just one person. He's always, always working all these things all the time. And so feeling that very acute presence of the Lord to say, Hey, I'm here and I'm going to deal with this in you and don't worry about them. I'll take care of what I'm doing in their hearts too. Like you're not God, you're not omniscient. You don't know everything like, but I'm going to deal with what's in your heart. So mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. hard, but good. I need, I need it. So. Yeah. It's really good. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Well, I would love to have you kind of tell us about your story. You have a unique story and I don't know where you want to start, but if you just want to kind of go to wherever makes sense for you to, to get us to the beginning of your story and we can kind of dive into it from there. Sure. Yeah. So I'll start kind of earlier on in the beginning. I won't do the like, I was five years old. <laughs> I'll spare okay, you yeah, the long story. I grew up as a, in a Christian family. Well, my mom is a Christian. My father wasn't as involved with our faith, but my mom was the one who took us to church and we grew up in a Christian family. But when I was 
22, I was working for my brother and he had a, a ministry and a band and I sang with them and we traveled and did different youth conferences and things like that. And I had a pretty public persona. I was leading worship. I was working on my second album and in my circle of, I was in upstate New York, but circle of people relatively well-known and just kind of the good kid. I just didn't do anything wrong that people knew of. Like I kept a pretty good external appearance for people, but really my heart was wandering. My heart, my desires were wandering. And I don't know that the gospel had fully reached its way into the core of my heart. Like I understood the idea of salvation, which is crazy to think because I was talking to people about it and leading worship, but um, with my brother's ministry, but for me in my own heart, it hadn't quite clicked. So when I was 22, I was working on my second album and my producer was married and we ended up having an affair. And at the time I was a virgin. And so I lost my virginity and uh, told everybody that, you know, I confessed it to uh, my brother and his wife. And so then lost my job, obviously, because Mm -hmm. I was in ministry. You can't have an affair and be in ministry Mm -hmm. and, you know, lost a lot of friends and it really blew up quickly. And at the time I was at a small church in New York and my brother was, my other brother was a pastor on staff. And so I went through a little bit of some church discipline there and then ended up just running away from New York and going to Texas because I just didn't know what to do. I had a family member there and I knew I needed to get out of the kind of the spotlight of being under everyone's gaze in New York. And I didn't know what else to do. So I left and I went to Texas and joined a church down there in hopes of breaking off the relationship in hopes of trying to get a clear head. But he ended up following me down there and coming down there as well. The guy that I had had the affair with and I was getting involved at the village church. Um, it was when it was pretty small still for anyone who knows the village. It was when it was still in the small Highland village campus, but And I was trying to lead a group and become a member. And there was really this disconnect for me between my sinful actions and me just trying to adopt like a a new persona, really. Like nobody knew me there. So I thought, great, fresh start. I can like, he's just my, he's my boyfriend down here. Nobody knows otherwise. Nobody needs to know. Mm -hmm. And just thinking I could just kind of cover it, you know, like they, they don't know me so I can just move on with my life. And, and so we were dating for lack of a better term, um, whatever it was. And, um, eventually someone, a couple of people, my brother and his, his ex-wife had written a letter to the village saying, Hey, did you know, like these guys are running from their church and from their communities? And wow. did you know this about them? And so I was called into a meeting with um, one of the guys at the village. Cause I had been singing on the worship team. I was in the process of becoming a member and he was like, is this true? And I was like, yeah, this is all true. So they ended up uh, having church discipline for myself and for Guy. And it was intense. They had brought us in and, and kind of had a plan, brought us in separately, but a plan for, hey, this is what restoration should look like. He should go home to his wife. Mm. You you can stay here and we'll, we want to help you heal. We'll give you counseling and really a plan of redemption and restoration. Mm-hmm. But I, at the time... I just couldn't fathom cutting off the relationship for, for a few different reasons. I think I was really codependent. It was a really unhealthy relationship. It was rooted in so much sin that I just couldn't find my way out. And also I really, this is going to sound ridiculous. And so bear with me as I say this, but I, there was this part of me that was like, I'm never going to sleep with anyone except the man I'm going to marry. And so there was a part of me that was like, well, I made my bed. I should lie in it. Like I've right. 
I've given him everything. I should just like own it. This is what I've chosen. And I should just see this through. And maybe if we get married, it'll redeem everything and all of the mess and everything. So we ended up, I rejected the discipline of the church. I left that church and went to another church and we ended up getting married in Texas against the, the wisdom of family members and, and wow. other people mm-hmm. got married. Before you keep going, I just have to interject yeah. something here where, where you just, cause it's like so powerful what you just said. I think, I don't know how close we are in age, but I think like that mentality of, I already slept with someone. Now, if I marry them, like it kind of, it's going to undo what I've, what I've done. That's wrong. It's going to kind of wash over. It's going to whitewash. It's like, that will be the solution. That will be the, I mean, and I had the same thought in college and thought like that my high school to college boyfriend and I were supposed to get married. Mm. And that if we did, it would kind of like, that was my, it was almost like that was my plan for redemption. My own plan for redemption was to get married because I had always known that, you know, you shouldn't sleep with anybody before you're married. I knew sex was for marriage. And since I had broken that rule, I had to kind of, I was backing into it. I was going about everything backwards and thought that was the solution and that that would like kind of make me right before God. And that was like what my hope was in. So imagine the devastation when I realized this relationship (laughs) is falling apart and it's not going to happen. Like my entire life fell apart, you know, and and it sounds like you had kind of a similar perspective on it. And that's part of why it was so hard for you to let go. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny now thinking how much I was convinced that marriage was going to answer everything. Marriage would restore the broken relationships. Marriage would heal my heart. Marriage would fix the problems I had with him. Like I just thought marriage was the magical answer, like the solution to everything, um, which it, it really wasn't. No, but we in the church can, and I mean, with sort of the time that you and I were growing up, I think with a lot of like what was out there in regards to purity, it Mm -hmm. idolized while, while God does call us to purity, it, there was an idolization of Mm -hmm. this idea that you are pure and you can remain pure and here's the way. And like marriage is marriage is the answer when really it's like, no, I'm like the only thing that makes me pure is Christ. And if yeah. I stop making it all about my actions or the legalism of me thinking like, oh, well, this isn't sex or this is sex, like just, you know, because that's where you go as a young adult or as an adolescent, you're like, okay, well, how do I remain pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, don't have sex. Okay. So you can do everything but that, you know, and it's like, right. there's just so much that when we idolize that, and make that our hope that gets us like, it It really takes us on a road that we never intended to go on. Absolutely. And that, that false promise, I think that came with that. It's almost like I was just talking with someone on Sunday about this, but this almost like a prosperity purity gospel yes. that if you do these things, God will bless you. You'll have all these things. It'll be good. And, and so there is, there was that sort of thing of um, and, and don't hear me. I'm not trying to shift blame. Like I for sure owned, I was, I was the mess in this situation, but I did definitely think, well, if I just, if I just marry him, then I, at least I've just given myself to one man and then I'll get all the promises that at least come through marriage because you know, not that I was consciously thinking that, but that was like, I was waiting for that. This will redeem everything. This will be the hope. Yeah. This will be the promise. Yeah. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, I am running headfirst into continuous sin and rejecting the mercy of God, which was trying to stop me in my tracks. It's just, it was, it's just an interesting picture to think yeah. about. Yeah. Um, 
that is, I think something a lot of people probably are like, uh, yeah, I did that too. (laughs) You know, like it's such a warped message, you know, that I, I don't know. Yeah. But so you guys got married and you were living in Texas. Yep. We we got married. We were attending a different church. And within, uh, it was three months after we were married, I got pregnant with my daughter and had a year of just, you know, your normal first year struggles of marriage, plus the isolation with because we had cut off all of our healthy relationships. So we were pretty much on our own, except for the new ones we were making in Texas. But then when my daughter was born, when she was six months old or so, I found out that he was having an affair with another woman. I'd found the phone and some messages that he had sent to another woman. And that just started kind of the landslide of our relationship. He had multiple affairs over the course of a year and a half. He, He was dealing with some other stuff too on top of that. But, and I wasn't perfect after that we had separated and, and then I was with someone that I shouldn't have been with. And then we tried reconciling and we tried going to counseling. And then he had some more affairs, ultimately moving in with somebody else. And that was kind of just the end of our marriage. And it really just, the best way I can describe it was just everything crumbling around me. Like I had tried so hard to build my own story to redemption. Like I thought I can figure out the way to redeem this. I can figure out a way to make right all of my wrongs and tried to build it myself, tried to make it happen myself he when he left and it was it was very painful it was a hard season but really i felt like i was just reaping what i had sown as well and he has his own path and so my hope also when i'm sharing this and to anyone else who hears this is that i even though i was wounded and hurt in a lot of different ways there was a lot of things that were done against me i also know that i did kind of make my bed in hell and yeah. but then the lord was there And so I couldn't run from him. And so everything blew up and I was a single mom and uh, living by myself. It was, it was very, very hard. And I felt like the Lord was like, are you done? (laughs) Like, are you done trying to save yourself? Are you done trying to write your own story to make your own path? All those things. And I tried to think of that point, the last place I knew I had heard the clear ringing bell of the gospel. And it was at the village. And I thought, you know what? Not that people hadn't spoke truth to me since then, but that was the last place I knew, like almost like if you were lost in the woods and you're like, okay, the last place I know we were on the trail was at that that trail marker. So you're just trying to find your way back to the trail. That's kind of where I felt like, okay, where's the last place I knew I heard the gospel. So I went back to the village. I asked if I could meet with them. Um, the same guys who had sat down with me at this point, it was years before. And I went back and I don't know what I was hoping for other than I needed to like, let the gospel be at work in my heart again. And this was just a work of the Lord, I think, but I, I needed to somehow say, how do I make this right? Yeah. Um, I've, I've screwed up and I don't know how to find my way back home. And I went in, I, I wasn't sure if they were going to be upset or just kind of like, well, we kind of gave you a chance and you rejected it. And I went in and it was like, they came out to meet me. And I, w- I think I was weeping before I even got to their office. Like it was just, we all cried. And I just was like, I was wrong and I, I need help. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go home. And I, I, need, I need the Lord. And we cried and we prayed and I, they just poured out grace on me. And I was very broken. They were like, hey, we'll help you. Like, we'll help you get back home to New York. Like, what can we do to help you get back on your feet? And it was really that point where I feel like the Lord just started kind of turning the ship one degree at a time back towards him. 
back towards home, but he was already there. Like he never abandoned me there. He, he was with me and let me kind of pursue the end of myself until I found out that's not where salvation is. Wow. He brought me home. That's all I can say is that it wasn't, he just let me get to the end of myself, which is very merciful because I don't think that I knew the end of myself or understood even the gospel enough to know that that's what salvation is. Yeah. Wow. And I, I'm sure this is what you were referencing when you were talking about you had made your bed in hell. You know, that's from Psalm 139, seven through 12. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Yeah. And just like, what a beautiful picture of God's unrelenting grace for us, no matter what we do or how many times we do it, that he always comes out to meet us. Like, like those guys at the village did, like, that's such an amazing picture or like this, you know, the prodigal son returned home and the dad is already walking to meet him. It's the exact same visual. It's like, he doesn't even make us come all the way back. (laughs) You know, it's like, we just have to turn, you know, where that's what the repenting part is, is turn from your sin and turn towards me. And I won't even make you come all the way, you know? And that's the amazing thing. It's like, we should have to do so much more than we do, but because of Christ, we don't. And it's just, it's unreal. Yeah. I remember sitting at a Sunday service at the village and Matt was just preaching a sermon. And I remember turning to someone and saying, this is really good news. (laughs) They were like, yeah, this is the gospel. (laughs) No, you don't understand. Like I'm ready to do the work, but God's like, that's not what I've asked you to do. Yeah, And I'm going to, I'm going to be there every step of the way. And suddenly like, it was like someone turned the lights on and I could see all the places I had broken things in the dark, but he was turning the lights on. I'm like, all right, we're going to, I'm going to help you walk back. Not, and not in a way that like avoids hard things. Like I had at that point, I had to have a lot of hard conversations with yeah. awkward conversations right. or writing awkward letters, things that I just I felt uncomfortable doing to try to make amends with people who I'd hurt. Yeah. But like his grace was always there for me in the moment to, to remind me that I was safe under the cover of Christ. Like no one could, they could say all the things about me and all of them could be true. And I was still okay because I was behind Christ. And so if they say, but yeah, you, you know, you ran off with a married man. Yeah, I did. You rejected the discipline of the church. You're right. I absolutely did. And guess what? Christ, Christ covers me, which is the absurdity of the gospel that not always palatable. Like, I don't think we hear gospel, we should hear gospel stories and always go, yeah, that seems reasonable. Sure. That's right. a good trade. I think, <laughs> exactly. I think the whole point is that we were, were like, are you kidding me? Why, yeah. why her? Why did you give her a second chance? Why did you give her grace yeah. and mercy? She, she hurt people. She damaged things. She, you know, all those things mm-hmm. call me what you want. And it's like, yeah, that's the absurdity of the kingdom. It's that radical grace, but then that also changes people. Like it doesn't yeah. leave them where they are. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and as you were saying, like, well, why her? Why her? You know, all I can hear is the Pharisees. But I mean, how many times have I been that Pharisee, even though I am also the prodigal son? You know, yeah. I, I think we we find ourselves in those positions at various points in our life. And depending on how moral or how uprightly we're walking at that moment, we can think like, but I am the one in the right. I'm doing all the things. Like, it's like Bob Wiley from What About Bob? Like, I'm baby stepping. I'm doing the work. Like, I'm doing everything. Like, come on, give me something. Yeah. And, and it's like, like you said, Jesus isn't, 
he's not asking for our moralism. He's not asking for our good works because he actually says our good works are as filthy rags. Yeah. It doesn't mean, like you said, that he's going to leave us in our sin and say, you know, well, just go on. There's enough grace for everybody. Just, you know, <laughs> send your right. heart's content. Like that's not, no. that isn't transforming grace. But I mean, it's, it's just not, it doesn't make sense and it isn't palatable. And that's why the world doesn't understand. And that's why it is, it, it requires those spiritual eyes to see it and to really to have any sort of grasp on what's going on. And even with those, I still am like, I still don't understand why, (laughs) like, why, why do you want, why do you want me? Why do you want us? I don't, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember feeling like, Lord, I don't want to have to tell people about this. Like, I'd like to just have this be a tiny blip in my life and not ever share about this. And I feel like the Lord was like, you can do that. Like you can, like, that's fine. I've redeemed you that you're sharing about. It doesn't make you more saved, Mm. but you could also use it and be like someone who is swinging a light on the path for people who are walking the same way to say, don't go this way. There's no life there. It doesn't bring fruit. And so I do feel like the Lord has like allowed me to share it. Like I've written a lot about it online. Um, I've shared, I've sat in, in like counseling rooms with women who are going the same direction and to be able to say, I've actually said and felt and seen all those things that you just described. And I can promise you it doesn't lead to life. Like that's not where the promise is. And so he uses it for his glory. So I feel like I kind of get to be like a trophy of his grace. Like the more I share all of my mess and my weakness, the more glory he gets. And so the, my goal is never to be like, well, look how, look how smart I was to turn myself around. It's like yeah. the more honest I can be and say, yeah, it was as bad as you can think. And then the Lord still saved me. That gives him more glory and, and is it like a reminder of his grace to people who feel like, all right, I have made my bed here. Mm-hmm. I guess this is it. I guess I I picked the path. But no, he's still there. You can't hide from him. Yeah. And so he is relentless. He does run down the path. Like he does look out the door like the prodigal the prodigal father looking for his son. He's waiting for him to come. Um he's not preoccupied with other things and forgets about his children. He he knows his children, knows where they are. And so that's a very like short version of all of the tiny pieces that were in that. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, and even as you were saying, like, you know, that you can't boast that you turned the ship around or whatever. It's the truth is that, you know, you didn't turn it around and you couldn't have. Like, there was no amount of like conviction that could have really enabled you to just on your own be like, yeah, I think I'm done with this life. I think I'm ready to, you know, it's just because once we're that far down the the path, like it it does require something outside of ourselves. And and really, I mean, at any point. In, in sin. I mean, we are, our default mode is to wander. Like we are mm-hmm. prone to wander. And so the fact that you were that like, not only did what happened to you with him leaving you for someone else looked like the, the worst thing that could have possibly happened. Like you have like, you have lost your family, you've lost your friends, you have a child and now he's going to leave, you know, that would like, that would be like, this could not go worse for me, you know, but actually it was like God's grace in your life because it'll push you to that place of like, I have nothing left and I have to go. Yes, I have to go back to to the only one I know who is still, you know, open arms waiting for me. And yeah. And like, so it was like his own power working in and through, you know, even using the bad things of life, even using 
the sin and the brokenness of this world to bring his, his children back to himself. Yes, it absolutely was that. It was, as I just always say, it was his mercy. I think his, his kindness leads us to repentance. And sometimes it means leading us to the end of ourselves or to the edge of a cliff where his kindness says, okay, like yeah. here, here's your, your choices. Um, you know, and he draws us back to him through like, I think it's Hosea 2.14 that says, therefore I will lead her into the wilderness and I will speak kindly to her there. I will woo her is what one version says. And I always felt like that, like he led me to the wilderness and then wooed me. He won me there and drew me back to him. And so it looked like a place of death, but it became a place of life, which really that's like the gospel picture. He He turns the tomb into life. And so he resurrects things that look dead. And so I really feel like he worked that gospel truth in me. And then I ended up, you know, I went home, I went back to New York and my parents filled my fridge and I saw redemption with family members and we cried a lot and the Lord did crazy things. Like I went on a missions trip to Uganda and I had one brother who we had just not talked for probably five years. And he ended up being in Uganda at the same time as me. And my mom sent me a text. She's like, do you know your brother's there right now? And it was right in the midst of all of this where I had gone back to the village and I just had been crazy lost and in trying to figure out how, to, how redemption works. And then I ended up being in Uganda, actually in the same city as my brother. And we met for dinner on a rooftop and just cried. And I felt like it was just the Lord being like, once, once you turn back to me, there's nothing I can't do. There's no, no thing I can't arrange, no healing I can't restore. There's nothing I can't do once you're in my hands, like letting me redeem things. Cause I couldn't have done that and I couldn't have healed that, but the Lord did. And so he continued to just really, I felt like restore what the enemy had stolen, but for his glory now and not for me. Like, does that make sense? Like yeah. it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really, that's so amazing. So you obviously love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about launching your own? If so, you're going to want to listen up. I want to tell you about the It's Time for Your Podcast course, coming soon from my friend Jeanette Tapley. Jeanette is the owner, operator, and podcast producing mastermind over at It's Time for Coffee, a podcast production company and podcast show. Jeanette loves to come alongside those who have the vision, heart, and the voice to start their podcast, but feel ill-equipped or intimidated by all the technical and logistical work it requires to make it a reality. In order to help and empower more women in their podcast journey, Jeanette will be launching the It's Time for Your Podcast course, a six-week course that will walk you through launching your very own podcast coming this September. She's going to take you from, I might start a podcast one day, to airing your first episode before 2019 is even over. To keep up with her show, stay in the loop about this amazing course, or for podcast tips and tricks, make sure to follow her over on Instagram at Jeanette Tapley. You, as you were talking about that the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance, it kind of made me think about how does that, that's obviously true, it's in the Bible, but where do believers come into play in a situation like this? And where does the body of Christ come into play? And I know you said you lost a lot of friends, you lost Mm -hmm. relationships, your family. I mean, you were estranged from them for a number of years. There are people listening who are walking through something similar, Mm -hmm. whether that is like 
infidelity that they perpetrated on their spouse or that of a spouse. And there are those who have friends who are in that, that position and are trying to walk with them through that. So I guess what I'm wondering is like, did you see, like looking back now, I know hindsight's 2020, but did you see people as you were kind of like careening off the cliff, did you see people pursuing you that way? Like with love, with grace, with like, please, Andrea, please repent. Like, please come back. Yeah. And conversely, did you have people who were like not pursuing you in love and were rejecting you? And, you know, what, what did that look like? And how can we do that well when we are either in that spot or have friends in that spot? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I had all of them. And so I had people who were begging me, please, please don't do this. Um, you're going to regret this. This is not what the Lord has for you. I had people who just flat out wouldn't talk to me anymore. They just went silent. I had people like my mom who spoke truth, but she never rejected me. She never left me. Same for my father. They both were like, this is wrong, but we love you. And we're trying to figure out how to love you through this Mm -hmm. um, and how to be, be here with you. I gravitated at that time toward the people who told me what I wanted to hear, which I think scripture tells us is what people do. Sure. And so I had, you know, my sister was pretty faithful to, she, I knew where she stood. I didn't have to wonder. She would just kind of send me seeds of, of scripture and what's beautiful, like trying to remind me who I was, um, mm-hmm. because I felt like it was a little bit of this like am- amnesia. I just mm-hmm. lost it. And so I guess in hindsight, I understand the complexities of everyone's reaction. And so I feel like I have so much grace, even for the people who who just walked away because I think it's really hard to know what to do when someone's life blows up. Even if you love them dearly, it can be terrifying and really hard to watch and to not know what to say, to know that at any moment you could say the thing that makes them run away or to feel that they've already gone. So what's the point? They don't really care what you think anyways, or to feel so devalued in the relationship that they would reject everything about your history and walk away. Like it's very painful to be on the other side of it. And so I think in hindsight, I see that more now than I did then. I was angry at a lot of people then, but now I'm like, I get it. Like it's complicated. I don't think there's, there's not always a clear roadmap for how to respond. And so Mm -hmm. what I would say is to people who are walking with people through that, to know what you have grace to do and what you Mm -hmm. don't have grace to do that there is nothing that anyone could say that's going to be the magic thing to turn someone around. It has to be of the Lord. Yeah. You can be faithful to speak truth, like always speak truth. I think that I get frustrated with the people who didn't speak truth and Mm. just kind of said the things I wanted to hear because now I'm like, why, why would, why did you just do that? Like that just didn't help me. And for whatever reason they did that too, you know, I know everyone has their, their road that they're walking, but I would say always speak truth and to to be okay with being rejected by the person who is walking away or in sin, but to not be the one rejecting them as much as possible. And so I think we see Jesus walk that fine line of grace and truth. Like he always spoke the truth and yet people wanted to be around him because he was so full of love. The Mm -hmm. sinners wanted to be around him. And so I think that there's, there is a way to say, this is what I think. And I love you. And I just, I can't let you do this, but I also love you. And I want to see what's best for you. And to understand yeah. that they, that might mean they say, I can't be around you anymore. And that's okay. 
It doesn't mean you failed. Like this is a work of the spirit. You, you plant someone else waters, the Lord brings the growth. Yeah. And would you say like that message of love and truth would have been more likely to be received by you from someone who had earned the right to be heard in your life to begin with, you know, like if a complete stranger had been like seeing kind of the, the train wreck happening and going, Oh, Hey, I gotta, I gotta get some action on this and come in and, you know, and, and try and kind of speak their truth or speak, you know, even if they're speaking the truth, the fact that, you know, you might not have had a close relationship before, would that have been received differently by you than versus like a close friend who was doing the same thing? Yeah, for from sure. a different place. I did have people who I didn't have any relationship with coming in, trying to do the grace and truth thing. And I just right. didn't have respect for them because I felt right. like I was just the everyone coming to, you know, look right. at the train wreck. But had there been, and you know, I don't know, like had there been more people who walked with grace and truth, you know, there's a good chance I still would have been like, forget you guys, I'm going to do my own thing. I wish that, you know, if, if I were walking through or if my daughter was walking through something similar or someone I knew, I would hope that there would be people who, friends who were able to walk the line of grace and truth and, and in it for the long haul. Like that's, that's a long, hard road. It's because there isn't a guarantee of, okay, if you do grace and truth for two weeks, that'll be the thing that turns them around. But people who were able to stick it out and say, this might be a while of watching you continue down this road, but I'm not going anywhere. And I'm going to love you and keep speaking truth and reminding you who you are and who you belong to in the midst of this. Uh, it's it's so hard because, you know, I, I could easily say, well, if only someone had said this, I wouldn't have done it. Or if someone had mm-hmm. just said this, I wouldn't. But for whatever reason, I was, I mean, a blind person doesn't realize they're blind, right? A deceived right. person doesn't right. know they're deceived. So it's like, I don't know what more could have been done other than just more people who didn't um, let me run maybe and didn't let me hide um, and and were able to walk the line of grace and truth. But even then, like I just, the Lord, I believe God's sovereign and somehow he used it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, yeah, that could be true. Yeah. What if there had been more people who didn't let you hide? Like you would have just kept running. You know, that's the, it's like, that's what sin does when we are like that is where the devil wants to take us is away from everyone who would offer the light of truth. And he's taking you, it's like further and further into the woods and it's getting darker and darker. And, you know, looking back, you're like, well, if somebody would have just said like, don't go this way, but it like (laughs) that it wouldn't have really, like you said, I mean, it, it does require the Lord's intervention. It does require his kindness and his power. Cause it's his spirit that, yes. you know, that convicts and then empowers you to even obey. Yes. Did you, would you say like, do you believe that you were a Christian the whole time that was happening? That's, that is the million dollar question. <laughs> I, um, I don't know. I think okay. there's a good chance that I had a, as the famous phrase is what a moral therapeutic deism understanding of the gospel before mm-hmm. everything happened. So I think there's a good chance that I understood who Jesus was, uh-huh. that I understood the concept of it. Um, and I really, I was a really good performer. Like I, mm-hmm. yep. I just Same. performed well and, and I just, you know, I knew the things to say. I knew the prayers to pray. I knew yeah. what time you went up to the altar to kneel down. I knew when you were supposed to cry. I knew when, like, yeah. I just, and not that anyone like programmed me that way. That was just my nature. Like my nature yeah. knew what to do. 
And, and so from the outside, I think everyone say, yeah, she was a Christian. She totally was. Yeah. I don't know if I, I can't say I understood the gospel until I remember those moments when I was, after everything happened, sitting under Chandler's teaching and going, holy cow, are you serious? Like, yeah. this is now not, this is no longer a message for all of those people who are on the fringes and come to your church and share a testimony or the missionaries. Like this is no longer a, a removed message for me. This now changes my life today. And that was really when it clicked for me. And so I don't know if, you know, was it all a work of sanctification what, or was it all the thing that brought me to the moment of salvation? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll ever be able to know for sure until I get home. Mm-hmm. And the Lord's like, this is what I was doing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. okay, that makes sense. And it's not that you need to know, but it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because I know like we all, <laughs> I'm thinking of people, I'm sure people listening are thinking of people who are in a spot like that in their life. And they're going like, I, I think I think they're a Christian or I, I thought they were a believer until this happened. And now I don't know. And now I don't know how to, it's like, we don't know how to pursue people based on their current status. Like we're like, well, can I use this reasoning with them? Will that cause like the spirit in them that is like, has taken up residence and cannot leave to convict their heart? Or will that drive them away because they don't, they're blind and they don't know they're blind. And so it will, you know, and, and that's, I mean, just a reality as like walking with broken people in a broken world and being one of them, we don't always have the right answer. You know, we don't always, we don't always know who we're dealing with. And so it's, it is challenging to kind of figure out what to say and what to do. And I, I think, what you were saying about knowing all the right answers, it's like you're describing having knowledge over having wisdom. Like yes. you had you had pharisaical type, I had the same thing, like type knowledge of yes, all of the right, all of the duties, all of the performance, all the requirements. I can fulfill the law to the, you know, to the nth yes. degree, but my heart is a whitewashed tomb. Like inside yes. is death. And I and I don't even like I I don't even necessarily feel what I'm doing on the outside. You know, it's like, there's a disconnect there. So, I mean, I identify with that for sure. And yeah, I would say to people who are like, can I appeal to Christian beliefs in with this person? I don't even know if they're Christian. They're doing these terrible things. How do I even communicate with them? I would say we can still appeal to scripture. Like we can still trust. Um, Isaiah 55 says his word does not return void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And so we can, we can speak the word and truth over people. We can appeal to scripture, even if they roll their eyes and go, Oh my gosh, I know I've heard that a thousand times. I know all the things you're going to say. It doesn't mean that that is a bad seed. The seed is good. We can, we can faithfully speak those things and trust that God will use it if he's in the process of working in their heart and it's not ours to feel like we have to appeal to worldly wisdom. I think cuz that was the one thing that some people just ended up appealing to like well this you know appealing to worldly wisdom and worldly truth um which will just eventually fall apart cuz it's not true it's not rooted in truth and there, like we were saying earlier even there is some truth in those things but it's not the stuff that brings us to sell- saving faith. And right. so I think to confidently say, you know, I believe that God, the Bible is true, even if you think I'm ridiculous. So I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak it into your life and write it to you in an email and send it to you in a text. And if you want to ignore it, fine, but the Lord can do what he wants with it once it's there. Right. Yeah. That's, that's great. What would you say, like, because you first were the one that had the affair, but then you were perpetrated against by someone with, you know, having infidelity on their part. So I think you've been on both sides of that coin because you were married and had someone leave you. 
what would you say, because this is an audience full of women, what would you say to the woman who is walking through a situation like that with a spouse? And I don't know if you want, if it's, I don't know how you would like address that. Would you address, Hey, if you're the one who has been unfaithful, here's what I would say to you. And then if you are the one who's experienced infidelity from your husband, here's what I'd say to you. Yeah. If I would say, if, if you're the one who's being unfaithful, or if you are the one who is the one that he's cheating on his wife with you, I would say that the enemy knows exactly what you want to feel and hear and see. And so he's going to use all of these moments to confirm what you want to feel and see and hear, but he's, he uses the wrong source. He doesn't have the source of truth. And so Mm -hmm. he's using a lie. And I think that it doesn't mean that that person is the the wickedness, but the enemy is using wickedness to to feel to confirm things that you wanted to feel and, and mm-hmm. see and hear from somebody else. I would encourage you to go to his wife and like confess and ask for forgiveness and do the really really hard thing because you can't fix someone else's marriage, you can't heal what needs to be healed in it, but you can own your own stuff and and then walk free and clear from it under the gospel. I would just anyone who is in an affair if you're, or even tempted, like if you're seeing like all those little yellow flags, like, Oh, I like when he looks at me that way, or I like when he texts me that this thing, or he, I'm going to hide this from my husband. I would pay attention to those things now before it becomes a full blown issue. Um, it's easier to deal with it when it's small, even though it's hard and it might be embarrassing or difficult to talk about with a friend or a spouse or your pastor to deal with it before it becomes the big thing, but to pay attention to our hearts that are prone to wander and are prone to look to other areas for affirmation and love and being noticed and affection and all those things to, to notice those things, know those things about your heart. Because I think that there was something in me too, that thought I would never be that person. Like I would never be that kind of person. Like I know my limits. I know what I can handle and what I can't handle. But the truth is with everything there, but for the grace of God, go I like it is yep. <laughs> by his grace that we're not all monsters. And so I think that to know that there is within you a capacity to do the thing you think you could never do. So you mm-hmm. can't really protect yourself from yourself. You really yes. need Lord, you need community, you need confession and repentance. And, and that's where the joy is really. And then to the woman who is being, who has found out that her husband is unfaithful, man, it is. I will never forget the moments I found out. And I felt like in those moments, such a hypocrite, like how, how am I getting, I'm so angry and I'm so sad and I'm so heartbroken. And yet I did the same thing to another woman. Like it's just, it's a devastating feeling. It's awful. And I would say in that moment to do everything that you can to trust in the Lord and to get to a place physically, emotionally, spiritually, where you feel cared for and safe and to keep your circle small. One thing that I felt like the Lord taught me through all of this was that I didn't want to just villainize my ex-husband because it was the easy thing to do. I, I, he's still a child of God made in the image of God. And I didn't want to just go to anyone anywhere and just Mm-hmm. say whatever I felt like I needed to say. Cause I think there is a temptation that time to just burn it all down. Like everyone deserves to know what a monster he is. I think that there is grace in letting the Lord work through pain in 
the context of close community and pastoral staff and people who love you and speak truth and all those things. I would say that we should always hope for redemption if it's possible to find reconciliation and redemption if it's safe and wise with that caveat, like if it's, right. if, if it's the thing that the Lord is doing to, to hope for resurrection in the face of death is not foolish. That's a gospel principle that we can, I mean, it's foolish to the world, right? but also to, to know that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and you can't change a person's heart. You can't change all the tactics that you could try to use and to make yourself more sexy or to lose 50 pounds or to, do all the things that you think would keep him. It still needs to be a work of the Lord in his heart. And as hard as that is to trust the Lord with that, no matter what the outcome is, to trust that God is faithful um, and that He's he has not left you and he's going to meet your needs and he is going to take care of you. And to just trust that God's yeah. faithfulness is real and true. Yeah. I just want to say, I mean, I think I almost want to take back something I said in the beginning when I said your story is unique. Your story is not unique because I think what it does is it just highlights for us a reality that is true for any believer, for any Christian listening. If you call yourself a Christian, you are never just the one sinned against and you are never just the sinner. You know, you're never only the one perpetrated against and you've had all these wrongs and sins done to you. And Mm -hmm. so you're the victim or you're you're the one in the right and you know, you're not in the wrong and, uh, and you are owed all of this, whatever. Yeah. But you're also not only the perpetrator. And I think it's, it's like your story because it worked out in such a literal fashion that you were on both sides of that equation yeah. of, you know, having the affair and being the one who had the affair <laughs> perpetrated against her. It just, it's, it's really not a unique story. It's actually, it's every one of our stories. The fact is that we are both, the ones who have been wronged and the ones who wrong because yeah. we wronged Christ. And I, I know we can all point to so many times in our lives, like whether or not our spouse has had an affair, we can point to so many wrongs that people have done against us, whether that's your parents or a sibling or a family member or a child, you know, I mean, we can all, our, our laundry lists are long mm-hmm. of sins and of wrongs and of grievances. And you know, sometimes I think we, when we are in that Pharisee mindset, we bring those to Jesus and are like, God, look at all that's been done to me, you know, help me to deal with this terrible, you know, this terrible life that you've dealt me. Give me the grace to forgive these sinners. And, you know, I mean, it's like the man who prayed like, you know, uh, thank you that I am not like that collector. It's like that, you know, he was a, a Pharisee, I believe. And thank you, God, that I'm not like him. And it's like, but you are, we're yeah. actually him. We're both like, that's the irony is like, we're both the ones trying to keep the law and point to all the ways that we've done right. Mm-hmm. And the ones like completely obliterating the law and, yes. and showing that showing our need for Jesus and showing our need and our failure in the law. You know, I mean, it's just yes. amazing how we can be both at the same time. Um, and sometimes we forget that we have been and are still both of yes. those people. And like, it's just so, it's so mind blowing. Again, I just keep going back to like how mind blowing grace is that it covers us on both fronts, on both accounts. Seriously. Yeah. You're not kidding. It's, it's crazy. It's mind blowing. You're talking, it makes me think of David, um, who, when he confessed, he said to the Lord against you and you only have I sinned, which can seem like, well, what about? Bathsheba and Uriah, are you serious? Like right, you right, sinned right. against them. But I think there is something to be said when someone sins against you, 
they are sinning against the Lord. Like you are not the, the keeper of holiness. He is. Right. And, and so that's why God tells us, or Christ calls us to forgive because if we can forgive, then we can leave the vindication and the justice system between God and them. Justice. I mean, when I say justice system, I'm not talking about like legal system. I'm talking about like the judgment of God between him and them. And if they find coverage in Christ, then you can't hold that against them anymore either. Like there is a principle here that I think we would love to say, we are the ones sinned against. Therefore, that's now my identity that I've been sinned against. And I'm going to hold this standard over that person that they have. I'm going to hold this holiness standard over them, but we miss it when we do that. We're not the keepers of holiness. We're not the ones guarding the justice of God. Like that's between them and the Lord. And the sooner we can let that be between them and the Lord and for our own hearts, like it's better for us to forgive and to continue to forgive and forgive even when it seems like impossible. And that doesn't mean you stop hurting. It doesn't mean it stops being a painful thing, but it can mean that you can start to heal between you and the Lord and removing that peace from it. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. They're, they're not accountable to me. They're accountable to God. And that actually, while it, it, in one way, it feels frustrating to us because we're like, that means that I have no control and no power to say, you owe me this. You know, yeah. I can't come to them and say, here's all the ways you've wronged me. And here's all the ways that I want to be recompensed for your sins or your grievances that, you know, that I'm actually completely right in, in calling these out. Yeah. But in, in another sense and in a much greater, more real sense, it releases us from the burden of having to be judge, which would require perfection. And we aren't, you know, and so in, we haven't even really talked about the fact that you are remarried and you actually, but you married someone else entirely. Someone else. Yep. How does this part of your story or how has it, has it affected your marriage today? And what do you, how have you like dealt with that reality? I mean, obviously your spouse knows all about it, but would you say it affects your marriage? And, and if so, in what way? I I think it affected it early on in that I was afraid of marriage failing in the same way. And so I only had one understanding of what the marriage, what marriage would look like. And so pretty early on in our marriage for the first few months, I just was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Hmm. Now my husband now, Jed, he, he knew everything before we even started dating. He knew all my story. I was really, like I said earlier, I wrote about it. I shared about it pretty openly. And so, and he, his story is like, he, he was just faithful to what the Lord had called him to really didn't date anyone. And I was like, he, I just felt like I didn't deserve the, I still feel like I don't deserve the kindness of God through my husband. He's been like a tangible example of redemption for me in a lot of ways. But in the first few months of our marriage, there was a lot of fear for me thinking, what's going to be the thing that's going to make him go, if I had known this about you, I never would have married you, which I had heard the first time around. And so I was waiting for that moment. I was waiting for that thing that was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to ruin this too, because you know, feeling like I had the Midas touch in the yeah. bad way, like everything right. I touched turned to dust. But the Lord really did use him to redeem things that were broken in me to teach me how to to trust men, to trust godly men, to to be healed from things that I was broken in and beliefs I had about marriage or love or sex or any of those things. The Lord did heal a lot of those things and continues to through my husband. And actually, it's worth noting too, this past spring, my husband adopted my daughter 
and which has been such a picture for me of God's grace, like the situation that was so broken and hurt me and my daughter. And the Lord brought someone into our life who I feel like we didn't deserve his kindness. And he came in and called her his own and gave her his name and gave her a new identity and a new, a new heritage. And it's been just like a, an in my face picture of what the gospel does and that he's done for my daughter. So it's affected our marriage, but I would say that the Lord uses it to, for redemption. So there hasn't been negative side effects other than just yeah. me being fearful or me needing to address something. And, and there's moments where my husband has said, Hey, I'm not him. Like that's, that's not me. I, I haven't yeah. done that. I'm not going to do that. Like we talk this oh through, gosh, right. we need to process. And he also hears all of the, like when people do say, cause I still get people who, you know, don't like me because <laughs> of what I've done he helps walk through like, all right, what does the gospel look like here? What does it mean that Jesus has redeemed you? What does it mean that what they said is true, but you're safe in Christ? And so he's, the Lord uses him to point me back to Jesus. So that's so beautiful. And that's exactly what marriage should do. You know, that's like, that's exact. it's doing exactly what God created it to do in your life is to remind you of the truth and to remind you not of your husband's ability to keep you, but of God's, you know, and just, it's so beautiful how he's redeemed that. Um, I've heard you and Lori say on your podcast that we can't protect our marriages. Right. And that, you know, the first time I heard that, I was like, wait, we can't? Like, I thought that was my (laughs) job. I thought I was supposed to, you know, like, I mean, all of the protect your heart, protect your heart, and then protect your husband's heart, like protect your marriage, like um, let no evil thing kind of penetrate, whatever that may be, like make sure that you are on guard, be on guard, all of those things. Like, you know, not out of context, like, and, or I should say in context are good, good sound advice, Mm -hmm. but maybe out of context actually put like a lot of the burden on us that we can't bear. (laughs) So can you talk a little bit about like that, that reality for you of like, I don't know how you, how you think about that, uh, protecting your marriage and what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think, you know, it's the Lord who hems us in and behind. Um, it's not us or our deeds. And so I do think that there is a place for protection, but it's in Christ. It's not mm. in our actions. It's not in our, it's not in our works, just like anything else. Um, I think that there's ways of wisdom that we can walk and we're led by the spirit into wisdom. Um, and so, but I also think that wisdom sometimes means trusting the Lord when we are scared and want to just control things, especially as women, I feel like we attend towards control when we fear. And so we think, I don't know how to trust God here. So I'll just build, I'll build a system or a structure that controls my husband um, or controls my home. That way I feel like I can have a predictable outcome of circumstances, but there God calls us to trust him to a point that's absurd in the sense of we need to get to a point where it, the peace of trusting in him does surpass understanding. You can't have a logical answer for why you trust God. And so to be able to, to not try to control our husbands, not try to control the outcome of things, to be able to own our sin in marriages and not hold our husbands to a higher standard than we hold ourselves to, to be the ones to be able to repent first. If we need to confess sin first, to be willing to, you know, I think there's this tendency in marriages and in myself to, to want to say, well, he hurt me. So he should come apologize to me first. He should come seek reconciliation with me first. And, you know, to Jed's credit, he really does. But 
in that moment, <laughs> I need to realize that like we were saying, I am a sinner. I have sinned against him. And to be able to, to own our sin and realize that the protection is coming from the Lord. It's not something that I'm going to like say, this is all mine that I've done and I've kept this. And I mean, I think this, this bleeds into our children too, in the way we raise our children. Like it is the Lord who sees us and watches us and doesn't sleep. And like, um, we can't possibly carry that burden of responsibility. We can, we are called to walk in wisdom and humility and repentance. And other than that, we're trusting in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Such a good reminder. And so many of us, like you were saying, your husband says, like, I'm not him. Yeah. I, I mean, for anyone who had a relationship of any kind prior to getting married or meeting your husband or whatever, like, I know you've had those same conversations. You know, I sure have. And my husband has said so many times, I am not him. Like, I am <laughs> not him. And it's like, I don't even, I don't ever accuse him of that or think, right. I don't even think in my thoughts like, oh, well, you're going to do this or you're the same, but it, there's so much that gets kind of, there can be beliefs and habits or attitudes towards things or just, you know, default modes that kind of get formed, especially through wounds in relationships. And I mean, especially in relationships where there is that sexual soul tie that, that actually it's like you sex is such a different sin than others. And I'm not saying it's like worse. I'm just, it, it has a different effect upon us. And that's because it is reflective of, you know, the unity that we are meant to have with Christ. And it is, you know, it is born out of that reality that we are the bride of Christ. And so if, if it is abused and it is misused, you are going to certainly have repercussions in your life from that, that, you know, sometimes you don't even see them until years later. Yeah, absolutely. It's just amazing. Yeah. It's, I mean, and of course there's, there's redemption and healing in that as well. And it's not like, I don't think anybody needs to live with the shame or the guilt of like having a scarlet letter on your (laughs) jacket or whatever, but, but just to be aware that like, there are going to be things there that you have to work through and, you know, and it, it, it doesn't just kind of all just get erased like we were saying earlier, when you get married or because you get married. No, and you're right with like sexual sin. It's, I just looked it up. So I didn't memorize this. So first Corinthians six, 18 says every other sin, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual and moral person sins against his own body. And so there is something different that happens inside of us right. when it's a sexual sin. There's something that it does break. And, but you know, I, for, for me, like, it was like, I had the only way I learned that I was healing or that the Lord was healing something was if I started to put like weight on it again. So if you mm. broke a leg, you just don't walk around in crutches for the rest of your life. Eventually you have to start putting weight on it. It has to bear weight again. Yeah. Yeah. Scary, those first few moments where you're like, I hope this is healed. I hope everything's right. I'm scared um, because I've had help to walk on this thing. So in the same way, when something is broken within us and the Lord heals it, there does come a moment where he's like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. going to have you bear weight on this again. And so whether that's trusting somebody, trusting your husband, trusting that there's he- that the Lord has healed that thing. And I think for me, in marriage and through my husband, there has been moments where I've, I've realized, oh, I've, I've tried to bear the weight of this solely on me and not put that on him because I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to trust him with this thing or to really lean on him in this thing because the last time I did, it broke. And so really seeing that like the Lord's like, nope, you need to, to trust and trust that I've healed that. And the only way it's going to get better is if you start to put weight on it Mm -hmm. and let me show you that I've healed that. And so in my marriage, that's something that the Lord has taught me is that, okay, share that with him, walk Mm -hmm. through this, 
and see that I've healed it and it's not breaking. Yeah. That's beautiful. What a great visual, man. Andrea, thank you so much. I probably could talk to you all day, but I know we both have children that probably need us. So (laughs) thank you. I just, I'm really grateful that you are sharing your story and are entrusting it, you know, not even into the hands of other people, but that you have entrusted it into God's hands and you are letting him work his, you know, his redeeming power over and in and through it. And I'm, I'm certain that it's going to be a huge encouragement to a lot of women and it's been encouragement to me. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. This has really been great. I've loved this. So where can people find you online and connect with you and all that? Sure. You can find me. Um, my website is andreagburke.com. That G is my middle initial. So don't forget it. Um, but then I'm also on Instagram. I believe it's Andrea G. Burke on Instagram. Twitter is the Andrea Burke. But um, if you just search my name, I'm sure stuff will come up too. I've written about it pretty extensively. So yeah. you'll find me one way or another. Awesome. Well, you're setting an awesome example for so many of us who come with broken past, broken stories. And I believe that eventually in some way, shape or form that God does call us to, to really trust him with that and to step out and share that for not just our own, you know, not our own glory, but for his. And I, I see yes. you doing that so tangibly. So thank you. Thanks. It's encouraging. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening today, guys. Next week, I'm going to be chatting with a guest I'm very excited to share with you, and his name is Neil Shenby. You guys know that most of the guests on Kindled are women, but I do make exceptions for very remarkable and noteworthy men with something that I believe this audience really needs to hear. And uh, Neil is one of those people. He is making the short list of male guests that have been unkindled. And Neil and I actually talk about critical theory. So if you are not familiar with that, feel free to Google it before next Monday or just wait for the episode to air and promise you after listening, you will be wanting to do some of your own research. So Thank you guys so much. Don't forget to leave a review if you love Kindled. You can go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts to do that. Leave a star rating and some words. Click submit. Takes less than 60 seconds and it helps the show so, so much. I'll see you here next Monday. Until then, come find me on Instagram at HaleyWilliams.Kindled and have a great week.